0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inside the Cylinder, episode 93. Um, And a lot has changed since uh, you last heard my voice and the last time you heard anything from Inside the Cylinder, both from our show's perspective and then also from, um, you know, definitely a Piston's perspective. I think the last time I recorded a show was when Andre Drummond was traded. So that feels like about 10 years ago at this point. But uh, first and foremost, just wanted to do some updates for the show. Um, We are – Inside the Cylinder is now going to be on uh, the Detroit Bad Boys stream. So we will no longer have our own stream. Everything is going to be incorporated into um, the Detroit Bad Boys stream. So if you're already following the Detroit Bad Boys podcast – Um, that you'll be able to see all of our new episodes. Um, and then at the same time, if you're not following the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, definitely give it a follow, you know, give it a rate and a review. Um, and then all the new episodes will be published on DetroitBadBoys.com. Um, from a show perspective, I wanted to take this time and introduce the new co-host of Inside the Cylinder and newest member of Detroit Bad Boys, Matt Way. So welcome, Matt.
1: Thanks, David. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is uh, Matt Way. I, uh, you can follow me over on Twitter at W-A-Y-M-A-T-T-H. Uh, like David said, I am a new writer for Detroit Bad Boys. I've been writing on and off um, about the NBA and primarily about the Pistons for the last six years at Several different Pistons sites, uh, B-Ball Breakdown, NBA Math. I still do some NBA stuff, or I'm going to do some general NBA stuff this year at Hoops Habit. Um, So make sure to follow all of that. I'm a lifelong Michigan resident, Detroit Pistons fan, um, and I'm I'm happy to be on the podcast with you, David, uh, to talk about this uh, very new time for the Detroit Pistons.
0: For sure. And you were kind of like a white whale of like getting on Detroit Bad Boys, I feel like. Um, I know that, you know, that you've been on the radar for the guys over here. So it's awesome that, you know, you were able to come and join all of us over at Detroit Bad Boys. I'm excited for your your writing. I've already read a couple of your, you know, game, or, yeah, game recaps. Um, so, you know, and that's just some of the more tactical type of stuff. So when it comes to some of your more Long form pieces and whatever else you got in store. I'm sure it's going to be some good stuff.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I just read one of the comments in the the game two recap where one of the commenters was like, "Who is Matt Way?" Um, <laughs> I
0: saw that too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot has changed. Uh, I'm sure more is going to change on the website and with the Pistons. So it's a it's a very fun time uh, to be kind of analyzing what's going on with the Pistons.
0: Yeah. And, you know, honestly, with the show last year, and I don't mean we're going to get into the content here real quick. But, you know, I, I think partly why like Inside the Cylinder tailed off a little bit last year was it was just such a depressing season. You know, it was like uh, the Detroit Pistons had made the playoffs 2018-19, got swept by the Bucks. Everyone knows the story. And then it was just an injury fest, you know, all season last year. And it was really just there wasn't a lot to be excited about. It was really more so like. When is this team gonna finally look themselves in the mirror and hit the reset button? And with Troy Weaver at the helm this season um, and this past off season, however short that really was for the, it was actually really long for the Pistons. But you know, when it comes to actually making moves and stuff, everything happened so quickly. But this team was completely reset, you know, just from the amount of players that are new faces. The, just the overall direction seems to be a lot different. Um, so yeah, it is a really exciting time to be covering this team. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess just to get into, you know, we're not going to go over all of the stuff that happened in the, the pre or in the um, off season, but we are going to kind of touch base on some of that stuff as we talk about, you know, what we're seeing so far in the preseason. Um, now, one of the biggest uh, I guess, acquisitions from Detroit's perspective was the um, landing of Jeremy Grant from Denver uh, as a free agent. Uh, Grant signed a three-year, $60 million deal with Detroit. It was reported that he had the exact same deal from Denver, but he chose Detroit so that he could be more of a lead offensive player. And he talked about it briefly, I think before the game, um, the the second uh, preseason game, that he has a lot more to – show as a player, a lot more room to grow, and that he found that Detroit being like the best vessel to sort of put those, you know, skills on display. Um, But, you know, we've seen a couple of games so far uh, from Grant, uh, you know, just it's a preseason, so you don't want to take away too much um, as like a lead sort of player. I guess, you know, from your eyes so far, Matt, and I know that you've watched both the games what do you think so, you know, so far about how Grant has played and just kind of how he, you know, sort of envisions himself here in Detroit?
1: Sure. So the, the early um, receipts have not been stellar. Um, a lot of that is just, I think, simple shot variance. Uh, he's missed a lot of catch and shoot threes, um, shots that he, he will make on a, on a much higher percentage uh, over a lo- larger sample size when we get to the regular season. But th- there has been um, some concerning things, I think, in terms of when he really does try to create um, in an isolation setting. It, it hasn't gone partic- particularly well. He- he's not the best ball handler in the world. He, he-, he just doesn't have the top-level um, <clears throat> creation skills that that you might like to see from somebody in that role. Um, I was a big Jeremy Grant fan when he was in in Denver this last um, this last season or two. Um, he he obviously made a great uh, run in the bubble, especially in the playoffs. I really liked him when he was in the Thunder. I, I don't. I just don't see him as a lead creator, and and I I guess I tend to think that. You know Blake Griffin, who we'll talk about, is, is the clear number one on this team. Um, and Hayes is going to, to handle the ball more often. So even though Jeremy Grant has been kind of dubbed as this lead creator and certainly he wanted a larger role in Detroit, I, I don't know that he's just going to isolate uh, a whole lot. I, I think he's much better used as a high-volume cutter, um, attacking closeouts, Knocking down three pointers and and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where he's been the most successful so far in his career. He's, I want to say he's 26 years old. So he's still, you know, technically in his prime. Um, But at the same time, you know, he hasn't necessarily shown an ability to be that sort of lead guy, Um, nor was he really given the chance. But even in some of the preseason snippets, you know, I think just even so far, like in game one, Grant went one for 11 from the floor. Now it's, you know, the first preseason game, as I said, you don't want to read too much into it, but there wasn't a lot to be excited about, even in, um, you know, even let's say some of those buckets were able to fall. Um, you know, it just didn't necessarily look like he had sort of like the understanding of what it takes to be that kind of guy. I mean, I remember seeing him in a couple possessions, just do some, some one-on-one ball. So I'm like, I got my guy in front of me. I'm going to square him up. I'm going to try and shake him real quick and pull up for a mid-ranger. And, um, you know, it just doesn't necessarily seem like he has that sort of innate understanding uh, of what it takes to to be that guy. Not that it's a, a finished product. I guess the one thing that I'm kind of confused about from a Pistons perspective, not necessarily his perspective, is there had to be some sort of conversation there that uh, – the leash is going to be pretty, you would assume the leash would be really long for Jeremy Grant because the Pistons signed him knowing this is exactly, um, you know, he wants to be that type of player moving forward. And, um, you know, he, he left a really good situation in Denver to, to be that guy. So I guess it, it will be interesting to see what happens as the season progresses with Grant and sort of how, they're going to be able to manage that, especially if he's not able to produce like he thinks he's going to be able to once he does have that sort of green light that Detroit's granting him.
1: Uh, absolutely, David. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of thought when they, they signed him, they signed him to three years. Um, he, he's making $20 million a year. So that that third year, he's going to be a big expiring contract. If it doesn't work out, um, he, he, we know he can be a valuable role player. And so he's going to have some value there. And, and I, I do think, you know, that you, you can try the larger offensive role out. And it, it doesn't he can, he can have a larger offensive role while not necessarily being the number one or even the number two creator. Um, and if that doesn't work out, you can just move him back to, to his, his role that you know he excels at and, uh, and get another year, year and a half, two years of, of really valuable play from him.
0: Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see, you know, just because, yeah, I, I assume it, it would be weird to, to, to be in your first season in Detroit. And let's say things aren't going well from your production standpoint. Uh, you came in knowing that, you know, this team, this organization was going to give you a green light for them to sort of even like scale that back quite a bit. I feel like that could lead to a situation where it's like, you know, now you have an unhappy player. Um, you know, that, that had specifically signed up to not be that type of guy where he has been really successful in the past. So I guess it'll just be interesting to see how things shake out as we start to get into the meat of the schedule. And as you start to see, you know, what really his role is going to look like, because right now everything is not set, you know, in stone by any means when it comes to lineups, rotations, Minutes, you know what, who works well on the floor together, all that stuff is is TBD right now. So it'll definitely be something that we're going to have to keep our eye on as the season continues.
1: Let's just hope that it goes better than the because the way you describe that, I think is perfect, um, and it just, it, I'm sure, will give Pistons fans flashbacks of the Josh Smith tenure. Um, we just got to hope it uh, turns out a whole lot better.
0: Yeah, certainly. You know, at least he had shown some sort of ability to hit the three. Uh, you know, prior to coming to Detroit, where Josh Smith just I don't I don't really know what he went galaxy brain on our asses and you know just decided to start going to Chucktown. But um, uh, I'm really not thinking it's going to be that bad. But uh, you know, and, and also at the same time, expectations for this team are pretty low. So you know, even if it is something where it is leading to maybe poor court performance or on court performances from a team in general, a team that's supposed to be bad with, with a really, I don't know, just uh, tantalizing draft coming up. It might not be the worst case scenario just to let him go out there and do his thing for a bit.
1: No, de- definitely. Um, and so I, I, I did mention Blake Griffin kind of as the number one um, creator. Um, I think that Blake has, has looked pretty good in the, in the preseason. He looks healthy to me. Um, What what have your impressions been, David?
0: Yeah, he he looks really healthy. You know, I mean, he looks a lot better coming out the gates so far this season than he did last season. Um, I, I think so the year that Blake went bananas and was third team all NBA, he had had it was like one of the first seasons he had had in a long time where he was able to fully rest fully you know train and not just you know be not just be concentrated on rehab Um, you know the Pistons haven't played a game since March of last year so and and Blake you know was sidelined for the majority of last season but he had a really long extended offseason so I feel like we're getting some similar sort of you know I, I guess it's a similar experience um, to when he was the best that he may have ever been in his entire career, is that there's something similar there that he had an ability to to rest, to recharge his battery, and and to actually train before going into the season, and not just be as focused on um, you know rehab like we had seen going into last season. So that that gives me some hopes that it's going to be sustained. It's not just going to be a flash in the pan.
1: Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I you know, I look to guys and and they're not in the similar, they're not in the same situation as Blake. Um, But if you look at guys like John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins um, who, and what they're both playing very well for, for the Rockets through a couple games, they both look healthy. Um, They've obviously had more sustained injury history um, than, than Blake has had recently at least. Um, But, but, I think people always underestimate how hard it is to come back from an injury, especially when you're continuing to put wear and tear on it as you're practicing, as you're playing. And so that that, that big gap um, in being able to rest and being able to really rehab the proper way um, is, is, I think, a very underrated part of – I think you're going to see some guys that have been more – that have been hurt traditionally, um, maybe actually really benefit health-wise from, from the, the long absence, it, assuming, of course, the, that they were one of the teams who hasn't played in a long time. The, the, the teams like the Lakers and, and the Heat and, and people who were in the bubble for a long time are, are probably going to have the opposite effect, frankly.
0: Yeah, and you know that might have something to do with how Jeremy Grants looked coming out so far to start this season. He was one of those guys that played, you know, made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, So you know, he probably uh, of anyone, him and Mason, or so yeah, Mason Plumley. The Blaha stuff from last night was is confusing (laughs) me. Um, But uh, him and uh, Mason Plumley, you know, both had played quite. uh, You know, they just finished playing a couple months ago, so. Um, You know, that that could explain that as well. And unlike Boogie and unlike John Wall, Blake, while he has been injured through a lot of his career, some freak, you know, strange injuries, um, you know, both of those guys are coming off an Achilles injury. So um, with Blake, you at least know that he doesn't have anything as, you know, disastrously acute as an Achilles tear. So I, I am hopeful. He did mention now that he had some really tired legs following last night's game but I think that's kind of just to be expected especially with like the shortened um, you know preseason or the the training camp um, practicing things of that nature these guys really just jumped into the preseason pretty much right away following uh, you know a really brief couple of practices and whatnot so I think that there's still going to be some not necessarily minutes restrictions just some monitoring of Blake Griffin just to make sure that he's as healthy as he can be you know for the sustained um, run for for the whole season, not just for you know the beginning of the season. For him, just to kind of fall flat.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's. I think it ties a lot into what his future is in Detroit, um, because if if he looks as healthy as he he has, and he's he plays as well as it, it appears that he's playing so far, um, you know, I, I think he's done a really good job. He's shown some chemistry with. Kilian Hayes, which is super encouraging. Um, he's just a—he's such an underrated passer. He's turned into a really good shooter um, for for somebody of his size, and and so I, I almost wonder if if they are looking to trade Blake Griffin. Are you going to maybe limit his minutes a little more, give him some some rests on back to backs, um, and just ensure that he stays healthy? See, so sort of, drive up his, his trade value. What, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I, had re- wrote, I had written this down on, on the document. Um, you know, to me, it's almost a situation where Blake is kind of playing for his basketball freedom. Um, you know, Detroit wouldn't want to move on from him unless there was like a proper package proposed in a trade. Um, but, uh, you know, for Blake and I feel for him, you know, this is probably not where he wants to be right now with the current state of Detroit. Now he said all of the right things in the media day. He really does seem to be like, uh, just the, the kind of guy that you want in the locker room for these rookies for Killian Hayes, for Sadiq Bay, for Siku, who's coming off of, you know, who's entering his second season. Um, so, you know, but at the same time. I would assume with, with where he is at is in his career, how much individual success he's already had, that he would really prefer to be playing for a team that, that would give him some sort of shot at, at a really long run in the playoffs. Um, so I think that you know, it, it would be, it'd be benef- beneficial for both Detroit and for Blake Griffin to keep it as, uh, you know, just, just to pre- preserve your health as much as possible. Um, you know, just with those, you know, limiting back to back, you know, not playing on a back to back, for instance, limiting some minutes, um, things of that nature, just so that he can be healthy, be ready for whatever is in store for him for the rest of the season, whether that be in Detroit or elsewhere, um, and also so so that he can get out of Detroit and he can actually be a part of a team that is looking to to make some noise in the playoffs. So I, I think it really is a sort of a mutual beneficial type of relationship that, um, you know, Detroit and Blake has right now going into this season.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I would just note that in the two preseason games, I thought, I, I was really happy with just Blake's body language and how he acted on the court. Um, he was, he, he's a really good communicator on defense. He, and he was really talking people up and, and really kind of served to me, almost as a coach on the court. And um, even if he's not happy to be here in this situation, if he goes out and he does his job and and he really focuses on helping the the rookies and and the young kids develop, I I, I don't really care what he he thinks internally as long as it doesn't manifest itself on the court or in the locker room.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he, for all... You know, just from viewing him from afar, he, he doesn't seem like he's in a pouty mode. He doesn't seem to be you know, depressed that he's in Detroit. You know, I think he is really taking his role seriously as you know, the leader of this team and as a mentor for these young guys. Um, you know, I, I think that that's just going to be his calling card for this season. And whatever you know, the basketball gods have in store for him... Uh, and, and his future, uh, you know, th- that's just going to be what it, he's not in control of that, you know, for someone who had, uh, you know, what he thought was the, uh, uh, you know, just like a when the Clippers re-signed him and, you know, really made it seem like he was going to be a Clipper for life. You know, he understands more than anyone that nothing is certain when it comes to your NBA future. So uh, I, I think for him right now in what it does appear to be is that he is 100% okay with being that sort of just leader and, you know, support system and coach for these young guys. So I really can't be, you know, happier with what I've seen out of Blake Griffin, both on the court and what he's been saying off the court, too.
1: Yeah, he is He is a uh, the very definition of a professional to me.
0: Agreed, 100%. So let's move on now to uh, to the rookie, the uh, you know the the Pistons' first pick in the draft, uh, number seven overall, Killian Hayes. Um, you know, I was really really excited when I saw that the Pistons were able to land him uh, in the draft. Um, I guess just for you, Matt, what, what were your thoughts? You know, just when they were able to select him, was he high on your board? Was he someone that you wanted to see? Get to Detroit?
1: Yeah, so there were two people, um, two point guards especially, that I figured would might fall to the Pistons that I I really liked. Killian Hayes was one of them, and, and Tyrese Halliburton was the other. Um, I, I honestly probably like Tyrese Halliburton a little more just in terms of who the player he is currently, um, but – for for the Pistons and their situation and how they made um, it, it became very clear once the moves started that that Troy Weaver was going to tear things down um, even before the draft and trading Luke Kennard it, it just it seemed fairly obvious to me and I think to a lot of people and so for for a team like that Killing Hayes is one hundred percent the pick in that situation. Um, you really need a lead ball handler in the NBA if you're going to contend. Um, if it if it come, can come from the the point guard position, uh, you know that, that that's where where I would prefer it. Unless you can get you know obviously a, a small forward like LeBron or or Durant who can who can really just be special at, at, at the forward position, but. I think it's really important to have a dynamic point guard to be a really good team in the NBA. And and so I was, I was happy that Troy Weaver kind of went for the ceiling rather than the, the high floor with the pick.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that's where this team is right now is is shooting for the stars for, for some of their draft selections. You know, they did make maybe some more conservative picks later in the draft, which we can talk a little bit about later in this episode, but um, in general, I, I was really happy with the pick. I, I, know, I know this wasn't necessarily a reason why they picked him, but um, you know the French connection between him and Siku Dumboya, you know, Siku definitely did seem um, you know a, a homesick, I don't know what to say. He, he seemed like he had uh, sort of lost some of the glimmer in his eyes towards the tail end of last season. Um, so I think bringing in a guy from like a cultural perspective, that can be, you know, a, a best friend type of situation and, you know, just kind of go through that that process together is going to be good for Siku's development in, as well. But, you know, just Hayes, I agree, you know, and, and the size as well, you know, you, you can't underestimate uh, how important it is to have a point guard at a proper size um, compared to, you know, some of the smaller guards that we've seen selected and some of the, the great guards that we've seen struggle in the playoffs, like a Kemba Walker, Um, So I think long-term perspective, Killian Hayes was the right pick. Now, he has had uh, some ups and downs, I guess you can say, throughout the first couple of preseason games. Uh, He's shooting 22% from the field and 11% from three, uh, you know, just over those two games. He's also turned over the ball quite a bit. I think he had seven turnovers in game one. Um, So there's definitely a lot of room to improve, and there will be a lot of room to improve throughout this season but what about for you what what have you seen from him on the court that either excites you concerns you or if you just kind of want to talk about both those things
1: sure um so uh you know i agree the the shooting has been problematic so far um some of that's just shooting variants i i think um he he didn't shoot particularly well from deep overseas but he he was a really good free throw shooter which is a a good predictor of three-point shooting. Um, it, it actually tends to be a better better indicator than three-point shooting over over smaller sizes that you see um, in non-NBA seasons. Um, so that doesn't worry me. I think there's been a, a little little bit of a bad shot selection at times, um, but it's it's nothing that really concerns me too much. Um, it's certainly not like. Andrew Wiggins level or, or something like that, because he's still passing the ball a lot, still getting teammates involved in the play. Um, I think he does a really good job um, just advancing the ball um, rather than trying to to over dribble, um, which is kind of a hallmark of the the good European guards. That's something that they they're, they're definitely taught over there. Um, but but just going back to the shot selection for a second, I. I, I like I like I actually like what he's done because I, I think rookies um, can tend to be a little gun shy, um, especially who's with someone who's such a good facilitator like Killian. Um, so I, I actually like that he is continuing to get his shot um, and not just shying away because he's missing. Um, the, the 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 better shot selection will come eventually because it's, it's nothing egregious. Um, he'll learn. He's so young. Um, but but I do like that he's he's continued to shoot, and in, in, in mo- mostly in good situations where he should be shooting, um, even if they're not necessarily ideal shots. Um, so let's – I've really liked him. He's, he's, a, he's an excellent passer. He has great vision. He, he has already shown that he can complete really – difficult passes um, and he's he's also shown some really good chemistry with Blake Griffin which for for a 20 year old um, in in his second preseason game with a with a, a very old or an older veteran um, that that's something that kind of tells you a lot about Killian Hayes the player I think
0: yeah <clears throat> I, I think you said that perfectly um you know one thing that that I have noticed out of him and just kind of about that shot selection there's been a few times where it's just like okay I'm gonna definitely hit a step back here you know kind of in like the James Harden Luka Doncic style like all right, I'm gonna uh get into my dribble get into a rhythm and I'm gonna do the step back three where it's just been you know okay you're looking for your shot I, I think you know he'll probably figure out that that's at least initially, not going to be his go-to move. I loved what I've seen out of him in the pick and roll. You can already tell that he's someone that can navigate that situation uh, seamlessly. Uh, you know, I think Plumlee is going to be a, a great screener for him. Um, you know, He's a big-bodied guy who likes to make contact on screens. So I think it's really just going to be uh, a, a positive aspect that we're going to see this season is it, see Killian Hayes in the pick and roll with some of their bigs and just see the, some of that mastery, some of that passing, and also, you know, some of that shot creation, some of the floaters that uh, I've seen him be able to hit in, in Europe. Uh, you know, I think that those are going to be some really positive aspects from his game that we see consistently. Um, now, one of the things that I saw from him, especially in game two was his defense looked outstanding. And and for a guy that's watched Reggie Jackson, Get inhaled by screens for the last I don't know decade. It feels like, and um, just kind of be undersized and lost. Uh, the the defense that I saw out of Killian Hayes last night was special. You know, it really looked like something that it was going to uh, translate well. It looks like he was able to um, you know step up even on guys the size of like R.J. Barrett and get in their grill and be able to make them to to force mistakes out of them. Um, so I think on the defensive side of the floor, we're going to see a point guard that Detroit hasn't seen, you know, defensively since like the go into work era. So that's another air aspect of his game, and especially for a rookie, that's something that that is really nice to see this early on. Even though it's only you know we're only two preseason games in, he's still showing an ability to be a, a special NBA defensive player, uh, albeit a point guard.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you, you hit the nail on the head talking about doing a lot of those things. uh, The second game against the Knicks, against R.J. Barrett, who is not a point guard. Um, He's, you know, very much a wing. And for a rookie point guard to be able to do some of the things he did, I mean, he really just shut um, R.J. Barrett down on like four or five straight possessions where he was guarding him. Um, I, I did see... In the first game, especially a lot of ball watching, um, he got caught on quite a few times. That, that that's going to happen for for a young guard um, playing playing defense as a rookie point guard is probably the hardest job or the, the hardest to translate job in in the NBA. I think because there's so much to it, and there's going to be growing pains. He's going to struggle especially off the ball, but, but the strength he has, the size he has, the ability to stay in front of guys. Um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk about him not being the quickest guy offensively, but I, I think he is good lateral movement defensively. And and I don't think he's just going to be a guy who's going to get, get blown by, um, or, or certainly he's not going to be a guy that gets out muscled, um, by, by opposing point guards or even most shooting guards, um, which which is is great for for switching purposes, but also it, it allows you to to play someone else at point guard and and bring different lineups um, and bring more versatility for Dwayne Casey, who I, I'm sure will appreciate it um, after uh, dealing with the um, Reggie Jackson Ish Smith show for. For a couple years. Um, the days of those type of point guards appear to be long gone in Detroit.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I, you know, I really do think that they found their guy of the future, which is really exciting. Um, now let's move on to another rookie that we've seen, you know, have some hot and cold moments so far throughout the preseason um, being Sadiq Bay. Um, you know, my first notes on him, this was following game one was that my man is not shy uh, he is showing a quick trigger the stroke looks like it's gonna translate to the next level um, you know he didn't he didn't perform as well in game two I don't think he played as much in game two either but we saw some stuff out of, out of Sadiq Bay that you know a what he was billed for you know he was billed as sort of that three and D type of guy um, you know we saw him hit some spot up jumpers some spot up threes. We also saw him put the ball on the floor a little bit and create some space on his own and, and pull up. I remember trying to think who it was on. But he had a really nice simple little crossover in the mid-range for a bucket. That was just looked like something that's like, okay, this isn't necessarily why the Pistons had drafted him, but it is nice to see him have the confidence to go out there and look for his own shot as well, kind of like you were what you were saying about Killian Hayes. Is there anything from Sadiq Bay that that stood out to you throughout the first couple of games.
1: Um, so I really like his, his stroke, and I didn't. I I've, I saw Sadiq Bay play in college a little bit um, over at Villanova, but I, I didn't really scout him for the for the draft. I'm not, and I don't profess to be a scout, anyways. Trust me. Um, but I went back after the draft and, and watched some of his his tape, and I really love his. Um, his stroke, his shooting stroke. It's its not traditional by any means, um, He, but it's really compact. It, he almost shoots on the way up, which is, uh, I, I think, more um, repeatable. And just his stroke in general, I think, is very repeatable, which is really critical when, when you're shooting. Um, you know, you contrast that with somebody like Derrick Rose who shoots – at the top or often like on his, on the way down of, um, from his jump. And you just get a lot of inconsistent, um, incons- inconsistency, rather, um, when, when you have that sort of stroke, he does have some ability to put the ball on the, the floor. He's not going to be required to do that a whole lot. I, I, I hope at least. Um, and he's just a great defender. You know, he was the, the guy who was, portrayed um, among him, Kellyanne Hayes and Isaiah Stewart as the most ready. And that's certainly what I've seen um, in, in the first couple of games. And um, I, I think he has a chance to just be a really, really solid wing um, for, for a long time, frankly.
0: Yeah, I agree. And another sort of breath of fresh air with Sadiq Bay is that he is the proper size for a small forward. You know, I, I think we talked about it a little bit with the point guard uh, position already, but just with Detroit over these past few seasons, there's just been so many times where they've been putting out shooting guards, combo guards, playing the three uh, that, uh, you know, that, that, that's just, were clearly unmatched in a lot of situations. Um, you know, I think it's great that they have identified that sort of uh, small forward, power forward, sort of wing of a proper size, who has an ability to guard both positions and not someone who's reaching to even be guarding a three. So I think with the size and, you know, the, he looks like a bull, he, he looks strong. Um, he's looked strong out there. Uh, you know, I, I really do think that he's going to, at minimum, and it's going to be, you know, he's a rookie. So there's still going to be all these learning curves. None of these guys are finished products. Um, but I do think he is going to, sort of meet those particular expectations um, as that three and D type of player that he was drafted to be. So, um, you know, and and the more and more time he gets on the court, the more, uh, you know, time that he gets playing alongside guys like Blake Griffin, um, you know, I think it's just going to elevate his game even more. And it's just something to be excited about just from, you know, a, a team building perspective from the types of guys that you want in your organization and just from, you know, I, I've said, already said it, but just from like a size perspective, it's just so refreshing to see a guy out there who's it looks like he's supposed to be in the position that he's at compared to what we've seen most recently in Detroit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that Troy Weaver is definitely targeting to me is, is length. Um, and, and like you said, we, we, it's been a problem in, in recent years Um I, I recall I went to the to game three of the, the Bucs series a couple of years ago, and I sat kind of close to the, um, the floor, and I just remember watching and being like, I, I don't know how we, we could possibly beat these guys because they're just so much longer than us. And you, you see Troy Weaver go get Sadiq Bey, who can play the three or the four um, you already have Seku who can, who can do that. Killing Hayes is long. Um, Isaiah Stewart, he's only six, nine, but he's got, I think, a seven, four wingspan. Um, so I I think it's, it's smart for, for Troy Weaver to, to target that kind of guy, because that's just how the league is going. And it's going to continue to go that way. You know, um, size doesn't change as much, but, skill, um, in terms of like height is, is going to keep getting better. You know, you're going to keep getting these six nine six ten freaks of nature. Um, and that, that can, can do a lot more than the six nine six ten guys, even 10 years ago. And, and you need the Sadiq Bays to, to really have a chance to defend those guys. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, I think what Troy Weaver's is betting on. And we just got to hope that, uh, that Sadiq Bey is 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 the kind of guy who can who can play in that role. And he certainly seems to look the look the part so far.
0: For sure. And I remember I don't know if I already mentioned this, but Blake Griffin had some absolutely stellar things to say about Sadiq Bey. Um, you know, talking about him being one of the more uh, you know, sort of mature, level-headed, and like NBA-ready type of guys, just from like a mentality perspective. That was before the preseason games uh, had kicked off. But at the same time, it is nice to see those types of glowing words from, from Blake Griffin, who's a guy who's been around this league for a long time. So he's seen plenty of rookies coming in and out the door. Um, and, you know, Bay just does seem to sort of fit that type of character and, and one of those guys that you would want in your locker room. And also, I will be writing the Sadiq Bay season preview, so keep an eye out for that. Um, so, uh, let's move on to the last guy that we're going to talk about in this episode. And uh, I know we had talked a little bit about him uh, before this uh, podcast, or before last night's game as well. Uh, Siku Dumboya, the Destroyer of Worlds and Hoarder of Souls. Um, he had an absolutely excellent bounce back game in game two of the preseason. Um, we saw him do a little bit of everything on both offense and defense. Uh, You know, Matt, what was some of your takeaways? And you can talk about it holistically, too, if you want to talk about game one as well. But just in general, what we've seen out of Siku so far.
1: Yeah, sure. I was straight up giddy watching the game yesterday, uh, last night, because Se- Seku is just a monster. Um, he, he showed off everything that you hope he will become. Um, and, and like you wrote the, the player preview for, for Sadiq Bay, I did for, for Seku. so keep an eye out for that. And I won't spoil the whole piece, but you know a lot of what I talked about was how he, he really needs to accept this role as a cutter, as somebody who's attacking closeouts, and, and he really needs to kind of come with a better plan when he's attacking the basket. I watched pretty much every one of his shot attempts uh, last year, and you, you often just see him barreling into defenders. Um, you see him get an inordinate amount of shots blocked uh, around the rim. And he, he seemed to be going in the right direction. It, it was only one night. Um, but he was doing a lot of the things that I frankly have, have serious concerns uh, about um, for his development. Um, he, he just really embraced the cutter role last night. He, he's probably the the Pistons best cutter, um, maybe Jeremy Grant and, and Jeremy Grant, I think is somebody he can certainly learn from um, playing that type of role. He, he attacked closeouts. He didn't, just run into defenders, waiting for him near the paint. Um, and he was just a monster defensively. Um, he, he showed great instincts, I thought, which has always been kind of the big question mark about him. You know he has the physical tools. Does he have the, the basketball know-how? And he certainly showed that last night on, on both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of plays I want to talk about that I just remember sticking out to me um, last night. One of them was, uh, I guess, on the defensive side of the floor. Uh, Seku does look a little bit more filled out to me. Um, just in general, he does look a little thicker uh, compared to what he looked like last season. I just remember one play where... Julius Randle w- went full Julius Randle mode, and he was like, I'm going to bully my way to the bucket, and I'm going to get an easy two on-, on this kid. And Siku did not budge at all and forced him into a really difficult shot that, that Randall missed. Um, you know, it was just really impressive to see him hold his own against a guy like Julius Randle, who has the ability to bully almost anyone in the league. Um, so just seeing him use his strength and then his length to disrupt was uh, just awesome because, you know, I would have, I was expecting him to kind of just get bullied and find himself under the basket and Randall just with an easy bucket. Um, So that was one area that I just, you know, one play that stood out to me. Another one was there was a play where it looked like it was originally drawn up for like some quick action to get Siku uh, a corner three uh, in the right corner. And Uh, There was a nice closeout attempt. I don't remember who it was on, but uh, Suku did not rush it at all. He kicked it out. He let the play develop. He's like, okay, this, you know, he didn't just force up a J. And the ball made its way all the way around, and it went right back to Suku at the end of the possession, and he had a wide open three. Um, He didn't even move from that spot. And right then, he it just showed a maturity of like, okay, I don't have this shot right now. Let's reset the possession. It's not about the first look; it's about the best look. And he was able to get a really nice look and convert. Um, and he just wetted it from the corner. So just some small little things like that, small little like maturity developments, um, really gave me a lot of hope because it wasn't just like, oh, Sakou played really well; he scored a lot of points. It was just the way in which he played the game, like you were saying, That It's just everything clicked for him last night, and you really do see what the sort of um, role that you would love to see out of him as the season continues.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I remember the, the Julius Randle play, and you're absolutely right. Julius Randle is just a hoss. I mean, he can just push anyone around. And Sekou is super strong. But he he doesn't always have like that super strong base. Um, that's just part of him being raw. Um, he he really when but when he gets that strong base, he he can definitely hold hold his own. And he he did well there. Um, the other defensive play that just shocked me, frankly, um, was at towards the end of the game, where um, or no, actually it was at the end of the third quarter. Where Mitchell Robinson. Where Mitchell Mitchell yeah. Robinson, yes. Mitchell Robinson, who is the the longest. Um, I mean, I mean, he is just an absolute freak. Like you can't, I, Andre Drummond can't jump with Mitchell Robinson, especially at, at the length that Mitchell Robinson brings. And Seku, I don't know if he blocked it or not, but he contested it. He he just as well blocked it. I, I think it turned into points the other way, and I was just absolutely stunned. At how good Sekou's defense was on that play.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. It was something where you just expected it to be jammed on him because he was really close to the basket too uh, on that play. Um, and I just remember last night in general when a lot of the rookies were out on the floor and Sekou was out on the floor, there was just like a three-minute sprint where everyone was just animals on defense it was like some of the most beautiful most exciting basketball that I've seen out of the Detroit Pistons albeit in the preseason in a really long time and I was like these kids are feisty right now and they want this bad and it was just so refreshing to see that from like a youth movement that we have in Detroit right now um which I guess brings us to our last question here um you know I was a little confused as the the uh, free agency period started and continued with like the organizational goals. You know, it seemed like, you know, fo- everything following the uh, Andre Drummond trade from last season just seemed to indicate that this team was fully hitting the reset button. And then there were just moves, you know, like the Mason Plumley, like the Jeremy Grant move, um, you know, like the Jaleel Okafor signing where it was just like some, some guys that were brought in that didn't necessarily seem to mesh with what I had thought was, like, firmly the organizational goals. I, I backed down on that a little bit. It does still seem like that the, the team does know who they are and what they're going to be next season. But do you feel like the Pistons, organizationally speaking, you know, talking from Tom Gores, Weaver, Casey, um, you know, that they are in that sort of boat where they're really looking to, to rebuild towards the future? Or do you think that some of these signings indicate that there are actually trying to maybe make some sort of push for the playoffs, whatever that might look like knowing that there's a play in tournament this year.
1: Yeah. I, I really think that they're just going for a free uh, complete rebuild. Um, I, I, I try not to, to read into too many quotes um, just because there's always ulterior motives for, for quotes. Um, but you know, with, the, the Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee deals were confusing um, when they first got signed. But you know, like I noted with Grant, those, those contracts are, are going to be valuable trade pieces perhaps in a couple years um, because they're making a bunch of money. Um, they're going to be expiring contracts at that point. And that summer is the same summer, um, I believe, that, that Blake's contract comes off the books. Is that right?
0: Um, so I believe Blake has two more years or does he have three more years? I'd have to look that up.
1: I, I think he has two more years. And so if you, if you stick with Grant and Plumley for, for two years.
0: Ah, okay. And then you trade him. Okay. before that. Him okay. That, that summer when
1: they're great expiring contracts, it, it seems to me like they're, pro- they're trying to kind of clear the cap for that summer in a couple years. Um, they'll have two years of evaluating Killing Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart. you have a um, um, couple, uh, a third, three years really of, of Seku evaluation. You'll you have somebody like Josh Jackson, who I really liked up as a, as a pickup. He was number one on my list, actually, of, of free agents that really wanted the, the Pistons to sign because that, that were realistic, of course. Um, just because, you know, he's the kind of guy who's, who's struggled throughout his career. And, and he's still young, though. Um, he still has the skills that that made him a, a high lottery pick. And and going after um, those kind of guys, trying to, to find something with them, I think is what you want to do. I, I also, I don't mind picking up some veterans. I, I don't like the idea of just throwing a bunch of rookies out there. I think it is important to have veterans on the roster who are going to help these guys, um, who can take up some minutes when they are struggling and need some some more time to just sit back and watch film. Um, I maybe wouldn't have uh, signed as many veterans as as Trey uh, Weaver did, but I I, I understand the the uh, the direction. I, I think the big question is is Dwayne Casey. Going to execute it on the floor, or are we going to see Delon Wright get thirty minutes a game? Um, and I like Delon Wright, and I think he was a, a good pickup. Um, but you know, you, you you don't want to give these veteran minutes that veterans minutes that that are going to take away from the young guys and um, their development on the floor.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're seeing a little too much of Wayne Ellington, Rodney McGruder, and Delon Wright, then, then we know that there's a discord there from at least our expectations and you know what leadership's expectations might be but that's all tbd but no well you know that'll wrap it up for us for for this episode um do you have any parting thoughts or anything matt
1: um you know i i just would reiterate how excited i am to um be discussing the pistons at this this time um you know i've been a a lifelong fan. I, I kind of grew up in the, the, the nineties, um, learn, learning the game, watching the game. Um, and so outside of the, um, you know, I was post bad boys. So, so after outside of the Oh four, you know, Oh three to Oh eight or Oh nine years. Um, you know, I've most of my life has been pretty dark as a Pistons fan. It, frankly, hasn't been very interesting from a, team-building perspective, just trying to get the, the eight seed uh, year after year after year. So I am super excited, and I think Pistons fans are fortunate to to be in this time where the team-building discussions are are so interesting.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that the fan base also feels that way as well. You know, I feel that way 100%, you know, having covered this team for the past few years. So you know, and just to be able to be excited about the product and not have to care too much about like the results when it comes to like the win loss column is just really exciting, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, so, you know, as I said, you can follow uh, Inside the Cylinder on the Detroit Bad Boys feed now and on the website. Um, we also are on Twitter at Inside the C Y L N D R for the uh, tag there or for the username and um, yeah I mean we'll be around you'll be getting these episodes every week Matt I'm really excited to have you on board for inside the cylinder when you hit me up I was like okay perfect this is you know this is who I want to run with so thank you for hitting me up uh and joining me here and uh, it'll be a fun season man
1: yeah absolutely
0: thanks for having me we'll have a we'll have a fun time for sure all right guys peace